Hey everybody, welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. I'm John Burke, and with me is my buddy from the other side of the Atlantic. Hey guys, it's Matt Hudson from what I watched tonight. It's uh, the Kingsman to John's uh, very cool statesman. How you doing, man? Pretty well, sir. How are you this day? Very well. It's over here. I don't. I don't want to alarm anyone in the United States, but over here in England, we've had about one centimeter of snow. We're doing okay. We're going to make it through, but I can imagine over there you guys are probably praying for us, but we're doing okay. Well, I will say uh, over here in Florida, it is currently 76 degrees outside. (laughs) It's been cold. Thank you for that. Yeah, it's been Florida cold, though, for the last couple of uh, weeks. It's been in the, I think our coldest was like 40 on the dot or something like that. Um, And it stayed cold for the day because sometimes the morning will start at like 40 and it'll be 70 by the afternoon, but it was staying like below 70 so we were we were comfortably cold. Some people were really cold. Some people are a little more okay with it. But no snow uh, in Florida. We did have a horrible rainy weekend last weekend though. So um, yeah. take that in that case. Yeah, well, no, we've had a. It hasn't been great over here. But other than that, no, very well. I've been doing DIY today. Um, a, tri- a trip a trip to IKEA, which is never ideal on a Saturday. Mm. And I've spent the day putting up a set of drawers or. Uh, a bureau or a chest of jewels as they may call it over there but um and now i'm this is my chill out time i'm here with my man jb and this and i'm chilling out talking film so now i'm happy the important question though if you went to ikea did you get swedish meatballs i didn't because i was in such a um i was in such a one-track mind just to get in and get out because it was just packed it's one yeah. of the biggest if not the biggest ikea in the in england the united kingdom i thought it's a saturday morning Again, there's a there's a slight bit of snow on the road, so people are rushing out to buy flat pack furniture for some reason, and it was just awful. And to get me in, get me out, get me home. Otherwise, I would have been all over those meatballs. Yeah, I, that's the only reason I even would go to IKEA for the most part. But yeah, um, I'm glad you get them over there as well. The meatballs. Yeah, we have a we our IKEA in Florida opened a couple of years ago, and it was like. It was crazy because you would think we got some kind of like new theme park at the amount of people who rushed to go to Ikea, most of whom were not there to buy anything, just wanted to see what it was about, um, including myself. Uh, I was not there. I had no intention of buying furniture. Um, I think we did buy like some, like, it was not a painting, but like a framed photograph shadow box thing that my wife liked. Um, but that, yeah, I, I don't think we've been back though because it's, it's far and it's, uh, it's like you said, it's often pretty hectic and crazy. Um, people love it, but yeah, they not do how I good... want to spend my Saturdays. Yeah, me either. If, um, if my if my delightful partner is listening, I do apologise. It's not how I like to spend my Saturdays. Yeah, that was. Uh, we went. My wife and I went to dinner last night, and uh, nice. We went. We're on our way home, and I'm like, okay, I have a couple hours, so I have to record uh, the movie club episode for the week. And she's like, hey, can we stop at Walmart? And I was like, oh, mm. God, no, on a Friday <laughs> night. And sure enough, it was a nightmare inside. Um, and one of the worst things about a little bit of a cold weather spell in Florida is every store decides it's time to turn the heat on. And it's like, but we're wearing jackets because it's cold. We don't need to walk into a hot building. And so then it's just, it's uncomfortable shopping with a bunch of people. And uh, uh, I was ready to leave, but I couldn't say anything. I just had to nod and, yeah, we can go to that aisle too. 
do as you're told. As yeah. a Brit, I'm I'm I like Walmart as a Brit, only because it's it's something novel about. It. We don't have Walmarts over here. We have shops which are owned by Walmart, but we don't have Walmart. So the times I've been to the states, ah. I love a good bit of Walmart, but I know I know all of the stories and the myths and the legends of Walmart. Yeah, it's it's I don't like I appreciate the shopping. Like I don't have any. I get that it hurts small businesses, and I I don't I, I'm not happy about that. But I still I don't like protest shopping there, but. I do, uh, I do hate crowded places, and yeah. I hate rude people. And for some reason, like yes. Walmart brings the rudeness out of people. So, um, yeah, yeah. And cinemas can't... do as well with a minute, but that's another story for another show. Yes. Um, speaking of, this is the first time we're recording uh, Bloody Awesome for a month of January because we started the show last February. Yes. Um, so this is the first time we have to deal with January movies, which is notoriously. Not a good time of year for movies to come out, um, if they're being officially released in January, here in the States at least, because everything squeaks in at the end, all the good movies squeak in December, November to get into the Oscar nominations. Um, now, some carry over, but a lot of the movies that are officially getting their release here in the States in 2019 tend to uh, be underwhelming, and so we're going to be looking this month to see if uh, the January 2019 exceed those expectations or live up to those um you know predispositions because i gotta say uh the summer movies which are traditionally like the big blockbuster and awesome movies they're getting closer and closer to this time of year um because yeah. you know this year april is going to be the packed uh starting month for the summer movies with both shazam and avengers endgame coming out in april so i wonder if at some point january is just going to start the summer movies it's just going to be the thing yeah, and we're getting so many movies now during the calendar year that January is well, January's always been a dead month, but we're getting less and less dead months. September was meant to be the dumpster month. Yep. Then it came out and changed the game, and now that's not. And now August, like you know, the the the, you know, the end of summer is becoming another month where you just dump the films you don't want to, you think are gonna die. But then again, so is Netflix is also becoming that kind of place. But yep. what I will say about January is. When I looked at it, at, before we did the show and at the end of the last show we did, I look, we looked ahead to this month and I thought, I thought, this could be a brilliant month. Some of the films have been going out, surely this is going to be a fantastic January. And of course, you'll find out in due course whether we had not thought that or not. Yeah, and I think this might be a month where we disagree, um, not extremely, but I think I will be a little more positive on the month, but we'll see. Um that said, if you've never listened to Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast before, Matt and I pick the four four big releases for the month uh, just past, and we review each one spoiler-free, so you have nothing to fear if you haven't seen these movies yet. But this is uh, usually you'll have just enough time to catch these still in theaters um, before they find their way to home video, if you're listening uh, right away when this comes out. And if not, if you're listening later, well, now they're probably out on video. You can rent them and check them out uh, based on our either recommendations, or you can skip them because we tell you it's not worth your time. So uh, once we get through the big four, we like to look at the other movies we watch from the month. Um, some officially released this month and some we just were able to see for the first time um, as far as the releases go like to us because uh, Matt's, if you're not catching on to this with his accent, he's in the UK. Mm -hmm. I'm over here in the States and our release dates fluctuate a little bit. Um, some things that came out uh, back in November, for example, didn't get close enough to me to see until this month but officially released for Matt this month. So uh, we'll talk about some other stuff at the end of the episode. 
um, just quick like mini reviews. So, uh, Matt, you ready to get this thing started? Let's do it. The first movie we're going to be looking at was one of the first releases of 2019 in theaters, um, and it's a uh, well, IMDb listed as a drama mystery sci-fi. Although I would have said horror um, yeah. myself, but I guess maybe because it's PG-13, they're like, nah, who wants to see a PG-13 horror film? Um, it's Escape Room. Uh, and be careful if you're looking this one up because there is a 2017 version of this movie that is yes. not the same. Um, but this escape room is directed by Adam R- Robitel, uh, stars Taylor Russell, Logan Miller, Jay Ellis, Tyler Labine, Deborah Ann Wall, Nick uh, Dodani, and I think there's one more person who's worth mentioning, but I don't have their name in front of me, so I'm going to skip it for now. Um, I was totally going to skip this movie. I had uh, almost zero intention of seeing this, um, other than we picked it for the month. But uh, (laughs) a January horror film that's rated PG-13 did not seem appealing to me. Plus, the trailers made it look like a Saw wannabe. You know, it's... um, but set to a very trendy thing of the time, which right now, I don't know if they're big over there, but over here in the U.S., uh escape rooms are a a very big trend right now people love doing these they pay insane amount of money to go and be locked in a room and then try to figure out how to get out of it um you know that's talk about like first world problems right like other countries this is a real threat and we're like hey lock us up um (laughs) so i you know i had i've never done one i had very little interest in this movie um but i think it was uh sean or big tune a friend of the show um said he was pleasantly surprised he did exactly what he wanted and i gave it a chance and for the most part i'd say three quarters of this movie i had a blast um i was really impressed with the cast i've been a tyler labine fan for a while um you know tucker and dale versus evil he's terrific uh he was on a show called uh reaper i think um that i only caught a few episodes but i really enjoyed him on that if unless i'm wrong and i'm getting him confused with somebody else and um so i liked him and then uh, I thought Deborah Ann Wall was gave maybe one of her best performances that I've seen her in. Um, I'm familiar with her from Daredevil, and I liked her on Daredevil and didn't love her in The Punisher. I, not necessarily her performance, but the character. But I thought she was really great here. Um, Logan Miller, I've only seen a couple of things, but he was in Love, Simon last year, and he was a good jerk uh, in that movie, and I thought I think he does a really solid job here as well. And... Um, yeah, I was I was just pretty much genuinely surprised by everything about this film. I thought the set pieces were pretty cool. I do think they start a little, they start really strong, and I it's hard to keep elevating it after that. Um, they maybe could have reordered some of the room choices to make it uh, not feel so top heavy because I think a movie starts so strong, yeah. and it, it does slowly dwindle. And then there's some questionable choices uh, that the film does. Um, partly it's, it's a, it suffers from studio maybe interference, or we could even go as far to say that franchise world building, that seems to be the current trend in, in Hollywood that we're not looking at making one good movie. We're looking at making as many possible movies as possible, all connected somehow. And, um, that often wrecks the film. Uh, look at the DC universe. If you want examples of that, um, make one good movie first before you try to sell us on the next. That's, that should be your goal. And, uh, but still, despite those little flaws, I I had a great time with Escape Room and definitely exceeded my expectations. Well, well, uh, I wasn't too sure about Escape Room initially, simply because Adam Robertel and his association with Insidious: The Last Key, which I just thought was awful from from the last year or the year gone by. Um, but everybody deserves a second chance. And Escape Room, a January horror film, like you say, 
it's kind of a mashup, I thought, of Cabin in the Woods and Cube and the mm. PG-13 Saw. It's not quite as fun as Cabin in the Woods. It's not as good as Cube. And obviously Saw for the rooms and the predicaments they find themselves in. Um, I... You mentioned Davaran Wall, so get that get that out of the way now. I, for me, I didn't like her character. It the way it had nothing to do with Deborah Ann Wall. It was the character. Um, it her it. I know certain characters have to have a certain behaviour, attitude, or mannerisms, but sometimes they play it a bit too well and it rubs me up the wrong way. So I wasn't a fan of her character. Taylor Russell is okay as Zoe. She's pretty good. I didn't mm. find many of the characters particularly likable, which. Um, I didn't gravitate towards it, which kind of disrupted how I felt at times during the film. But yeah, the rooms were fun and inventive. There wasn't a massive amount of fear or terror. Um, and like you said about world building, this film, Escape Room, worked a lot better when there was a mystery about it, when we weren't quite sure what was going on, who was behind all this, why were these guys in the Escape Room in the first place? And as usual, when that mystery gets revealed, it never... It's always disappointing, and don't even think about a franchise for this because, well, firstly, why? It's because yeah. surely all of the good ideas have been used in the first film, and what they, uh, is it going to be like Final Destination, where they, or, and again, a PG-13 saw, where they just keep coming up with these mind-boggling escape rooms or predicaments to the point where it just becomes, you know, ridiculous. But I mean, yeah. I didn't mind the film. It was fun enough. I had a, I didn't dislike it whatsoever. I, I enjoyed it, but there were just certain things like the characters and the way it played out, which didn't wasn't satisfying wholly for me. So it was good, but it didn't leave an impression on me. See, that was I actually really liked the characters, and that shocked me. I, I definitely wasn't expecting to find uh, you know like complex characters in this movie, and um, I I did feel like they were complex. Not necessarily that I liked them, like where I was like, oh, these are good people, but. Like they're they had backstories they had a they had a history they felt like they were real people, um, if not horrible people at times, but they felt real and that I wasn't expecting that from this they also movie. Also felt a bit stereotyped as well. I found at times what who they the kind of the collection that they got were, you know you can't you could it's it's one of everything in terms of one of them was rich one mm-hmm. of them was a vet one of them was like a you know down as like pothead, uh, there was a teenager it just kind of seemed a bit. Um, yeah, just a bit. Some of them were a bit too cardboard for me, and I know that the the film explains why certain people are picked and whatnot. But I guess narratively, it just felt too hmm. uh, a bit too generic for me. I, I get that, and I, I I do agree that they are they start that way. But I felt like they went past those stereotypes. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's definitely you know it's that's a big factor if this movie will work. I think if you don't care about these people at all. Um, there's no, there's no tension. Um, I, I, I would say I genuinely was worried about their, them making it. And, uh, yeah, I, I really ended up liking the movie. Again, I do think it has some major faltering parts later, which I'm not going to spoil, of course, as promised, but, um, it's, it's a shame when they, they were, I was on board having a good time watching this movie. And then like, there were choices towards the end where I just started rolling my eyes like, no, why <laughs> um because again I, like i went in expecting just to like you know pretty much do that the whole time and and when i found myself like enjoying the movie and then they wrecked it at the end i was disappointed but not enough to keep me from enjoying it mind you like it didn't ruin the whole experience but i was disappointed that they couldn't stick the landing 
Yeah, I did. I didn't dislike the film. I I did have a pretty good time with it. It's mm-hmm. it's entertaining whilst you're watching it. But since I've seen it, I don't think I've really thought about it since. And yeah, I if 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 Escape Room Two comes out, uh, of course we'll go and see it. But I'm I'm not going to be lining up to be one of the first to see it. But I yeah. I enjoyed. It. If you if you like a horror a horror slash mystery film, which isn't too frightening, which isn't going to you know keep have you sleep with the lights on. Escape Room. If you like Escape Room, would do it for you. If you liked Saw and or for me Cube and Cabin in the Woods, because it kind of had those feelings to it at times. You'll probably like this film. So, and, and I didn't mind it. It wasn't. It certainly wasn't. It's not going to be in my worst films of the year. I'm pretty confident of that. Yeah, it's not like I don't remember for sure when Winchester came out last year, but it was pretty sure. early in the year. I think it's February. I think. Yeah. yeah, and that lasted the whole year as one of my worst movies. So yeah, Escape Room was a, a much more upbeat start to the year than I had anticipated. So. Well, speaking of, uh, Alessio, have you got anything else to add to Escape Room? Or? Uh, no, sir. I was. I think we were about to make the same segue, in fact, actually. <laughs> we were. He's, he's, John mentioned the word upbeat, and that moves us on to our next film, which is The Upside, uh, directed by the wonderfully named Neil Berger. Mm. That's Berger. At, <laughs> Berger. And it stars Kevin Hart, Brian Cranston, and Nicole Kidman, amongst others. And The Upside is a Hollywood's uh, adaptation of a French film called The Intouchables, which I haven't seen, but I've been told by various people, including one of my own relatives, that I'm ab- who's from Holland, that I absolutely definitely have to watch The Intouchables. Um, but I've, from what I re- also read, The Upside is basically exactly the same film in English. But on the face of it, Brian Cranston and Kevin Hart just seems like such a weird pairing, a strange pairing, but it works. The Upside for me was more drama than comedy. It is very sentimental and it's very mawkish at times. It's very predictable. It's very cliche-ridden. But that, that, but when it's done well, that doesn't matter because the upside gets it right, I think. Mainly because Hart and Cranston, and I say surprisingly, I shouldn't because they are both very talented, clearly. But they're excellent together and their chemistry sells and makes the film. And when the upside goes away from those two and kind of their japes together, that's when it for me it suffered somewhat because the humour and the, the emotional moments with them are what is interesting about the film and without them it doesn't work all that well especially as the film moves on to its uh, third act mainly but there's some there is a surprising depth to this film I wasn't expecting that from the trailers there are some moments which had me bellowing with laughter uh, which I didn't expect either there's a scene in, in an opera house which just made me cry with laughter and it's a, it's an extremely feel-good movie, but I did mention in my review that the subtext is, it does feel a few decades out of place. Um, and in today's climate, it does feel a bit strange watching, you know, the two characters and their interactions and why they come together. But on, on, on if I, what did I think about the film? I had a great time with The Upside, and when it was really good, it was really good i liked the trailers i loved the pairing of hart and cranston it was funny it had some weight to it which i didn't expect and for a good 80 percent of it i thought it was a really really good film how about you i also uh i went in not being a big kevin hart fan he he sometimes i enjoy him in movies but a lot of times he's doing the same shtick and it's mm-hmm. it's not one that always works for me um and that's what i was impressed with with this movie he he does a little bit of his shtick but it's the most um, dramatic performance I've seen him pull off. And I actually thought he was 
uh, really good when those moments came. Although I agree completely, the best moments in the film are him and Cranston together. Their chemistry is is um, engrossing and and engaging, and it's hard to not fall for them as a as a friend. You know, like you're you're watching these two people truly feel like they're becoming friends and basically needing one another. And it's even like little things. Um, the that you know Brian Cranston's character is paralyzed from the neck down, and there's little moments where like they go to get a hot dog, and the hot dog vendor talks to Kevin Hart instead of talking to Brian Cranston's character. And the way Kevin Hart's just like, man, talk to him. He's a person. Like I, I like those little things. To me, um, they're they were they're not subtle. They're right. They hit you in the face with them. Yeah. But they are. Uh, they're they're something that I think a lot of people take for granted those little passive aggressive ignorances of people with disabilities like like oh well he's paralyzed so he can't talk for himself or i can't speak to him and it's it's a shame that we do that in society and i but i do think it's a thing people do and so uh, even though it was a direct thing in the movie i thought it was a, a kind of a good reminder like people with disabilities are people first and we should you know talk to them as people and and not uh, you know feel, like act like they uh, they're lesser because they have a you know, lost an appendage or lost the ability to move or whatever. And, um, and that way this movie is, uh, uplifting in many, many ways. There's, uh, moments of sheer joy. There's appreciation of art. Um, and Nicole Kidman, who has a small part, but she's so charming. I can't yes. help but enjoy when she's on screen. And I was also really excited to see, um, he has a physical trainer. Uh, I, I think that was her role named Maggie, who's played by, yes. uh, Golshita. Farahini, I am so sorry. I am so bad with names, but um, she was in Patterson, which is yes. a, a film I love. So I like seeing her getting some additional work. Um, Kevin Hart's son uh, was also in uh, Proud Mary last year, which I didn't really like Proud Mary, but I really liked him a whole lot in Proud Mary. So um, it was cool seeing him. Although he doesn't get a lot to do in this movie, he still gets a few moments. Um, but I. Yeah, I um I, w- I really want to watch the this is a remake. Um yeah. And I haven't seen the uh the original, but I I I am now prompted to um I read up on the uh, the real life story and there's obviously some major differences. Uh the first being that it takes place in Paris, the the real story, not in New York. Um but still it's um it's compelling to know that there is a lot of truth in there the friendship that that came from this career opportunity. Um so yeah, uh, the upside was one again that I I kind of expected that it wouldn't quite work for me. Um, Brian Cranston's film career has been lackluster um, compared to his TV career. Yeah. Um, but I th- you know I thought both did a really good job. There's a few you know melodramatic moments, and I think some of the conflict in the film comes at it feels inorganic. It just kind of like oh it's time for a big fallout or it's time for some big fight to happen. Um, but I, I think the movie mostly redeems itself whenever it does one of those little things that make you question it. And ultimately, it's a very enjoyable uh, film. And I, I liked it. Yep. And just as you were speaking about Brian Cranston's career, I've just had something pop into my head, which now I want to see happen. I want to see uh, Brian Cranston play Jim Gordon in the next Batman, in the mm. Batman, because I think he would be awesome. But that's just coming to my head off the t- off that. But speaking about Brian Cranston, um, I do always want to put you on the spot sometimes. But there's been there's been some controversy around his casting for this film because he is an able-bodied man playing a disabled person. Mm. Do you think that is 
warrants the controversy that it's got or um you know do you think his performance justifies his inclusion well you know uh i i guess i don't know um it's a it's a slippery topic because acting is acting right like it, it, yeah. it you know so it is the idea of pretending or putting yourself in a position to become something else um but obviously there are there are things that we immediately dismiss as not okay like um it's not okay to go blackface and i i firmly agree with that but then why is it okay to pretend to be you know paralyzed if you're not um one i, I don't know uh, how many paralyzed actors are out there um you know what i mean like or how many people yeah. who are paralyzed are trying to act um i think that makes a bigger difference like if was there someone up for the role who got didn't get it and cranston did um you know and and then are did would they only have got it because they were paralyzed and not the better performance i i don't know um i think you can make a stronger argument there are a lot of african-american actors out there so casting a white man and putting him in blackface is not okay where i don't know for sure the number of paralyzed actors out there so yeah, yeah. it's not not dismissing it mind you it's more like i don't feel like i have enough information to make an educated guess but i do think i would not have thought of that as an issue had it not been brought to the forefront you know what i mean where i immediately yeah, yeah. would it with the, with someone in blackface i would be like what are you doing why are you doing that you know <laughs> no I, I hadn't it hadn't really dawned on me either but it wasn't until i'd seen it it because i must watch my how i say but how it, with social media is as it is today obviously you know m more and more voices topics opinions get heard which is generally a good thing and in the case of the upside this is how i heard about this controversy via social media and of course in today's day and age we find that there's so much more controversy about you know things which we may not have thought about a few years ago you know they get brought up but look at just look at the oscar race for example every film has been hit by some controversy now by the looks of it but yeah I, that's that's the only reason I, I i'd heard about it but i your points are valid yeah it's not I just wanted to put you on the spot oh, just yeah. because no. just for a bit of fun. But um... I think it's a topic that we should discuss. I mean, that same discussion has come up with like trans actors. Um, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. And and then homosexual actors. Like, if can a straight actor play a gay character anymore, or should it only be a gay um, actor? And of course, then you could argue the same. Could a gay actor play a straight character? And I would like to say yes, and I think they should both be able to, um, because it's not a physical appearance there you know like you're pretending to be something that i think that, again um i think the portrayal of that character is more important in the film than necessarily who's playing it in those situations yeah, but yeah. i don't know it, it is it's a it's a firm debate i think if i think the bigger issue is are people being able to get work who are trying to do the work and if you're taking someone else's job then we have to start looking at it from that perspective but Oh, yeah, if doors are being closed, then I, that's not cool at all. Yeah, of course. I did want to say this. I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, there is an animated uh, DC movie called Batman Year One back yeah, in I've heard, yep. 2011 where uh, Brian Cranston was the voice of Jim Gordon. No way! Yeah, I was wondering if you knew that or not. So <laughs> I did not know that because I, I mentioned it when we spoke about Spider-Verse, but I'm not really... I've never been particularly big on the animated comic book movies it's just not something i've ever gravitated towards and i wasn't mm -hmm. even going to go and watch spider-verse which made it into my top 15 of last year yeah so i'm not a massive 
I don't know why, but I just don't really watch the animated ones. I just, I, it's just so the idea of Brian Cranston with a moustache just mm-hmm. sold Jim Gordon for me. Yeah, and I, I agree, and he does a really good job in that one. The, um, I did, for a while, I was keeping up with a lot of the DC uh, animated. They started putting them out too frequently, where I, I just can't afford to keep buying them when they come out. But um, generally speaking, I've been fairly happy with the uh, animated DC movies. Um, I've not seen many of the newer ones, but like that one came out several years back, and I, I uh, the Dark Knight Returns, they also did part one and part two, which are also really good. But um, year one, I liked, but uh, Gordon as well Cranston as Gordon and that does he does a good job with the voice so let's you know there it is Matt um what is it Matt Reeves right is directing the Batman uh, yes it is yeah so come on Matt Reeves let's cast correctly um you heard it here first properly so uh if if nothing else on the upside maybe we should transition to a legend let's do it not so, me someone else ah uh, yes correct we won't talk about Matt just yet but the kid <laughs> who would be king um is a new PG film uh, out for families everywhere. It um, it is directed by uh, Joe Cornish, who is most notable for Attack the Block. Um, I just realized who the mom was in this movie. I think yes. Was she in Colette? She is in Colette. Yes. Um, I didn't put that together uh, until just now. Um, it <laughs> uh, stars uh, Louis Ashbourne Circus or Louis Ashbourne Circus. I guess is the right thing. Um, Denise Gao. Uh, Dean Sham- Shamau, Shamu. I'm not sure how to say that to be honest. Um, which is apparently a trend with me. Uh, Angus Ermey, um, Patrick Stewart, Rebecca Ferguson. I'll throw in Tom Taylor and Rihanna Doris as well. Um, it's a film where it takes the legend of King Arthur and reimagines it uh, to a new a new story. It's its own story, and that's the first refreshing thing about this because I think like Robin Hood, King Arthur maybe has been you know used to death because it's in the public domain and a lot of the more recent ones have not been very good so joe Joe cornish goes about making his own myth um where what if the legend of arthur was something a little more uh the excalibur sword in the stone story is brought to modern day uh in the uk and um, we get a cool adventure story that very much feels steve uh, spielbergian um in a lot of ways and um, I've heard a few different reviewers. I think Slash Filmcast uh, re- compared this to uh, The Goonies and those 80s uh, action-adventure films for kids. Um, and I, I went in um, hopeful. I am a fan of Attack the Block. Um, Edgar Wright actually is what prompted me to finally watch this because he tweeted about this the other day. And I, I used that to get my daughter to come with me. Now, my mm-hmm. daughter's 14, so she's just past the age this is targeting. Um, but... I would say this film is a in the likes of Harry Potter, Percy Jackson, that kind of modern day. You're a normal kid, but you find out you're something more. Um, we even see that kind of embody itself in The Last Jedi. And I, I love those stories because I think it gives everybody hope. It's that idea that you can come from nothing and become something great if you're willing to, to work hard and, uh, you know, not give up. Um, and so there's a lot of charm in that. Uh, but I definitely want to spend most of my time talking about Angus Emery, who yep. plays the young Merlin, and his performance. Because, one, the spell casting in this movie is such a, a bold choice to have uh, Merlin do these weird hand gestures that almost look like a handshake that like two people might do, but if you were doing it by yourself, like you're clapping your hands, you're clicking, um, it, it could have not worked. And it works so well. 
I thought it was brilliant. Um, I could imagine if I were a kid. In fact, I have to stop myself from trying to emulate it. But if I were mm-hmm. a kid, I would have walked out of that theater like smacking my hands, trying to cast spells like in a heartbeat. It's something very easy to replicate, which is something that I think would help stick in, in kids' minds. But Angus is so good and he's done like nothing else. This is like his first real role. And his performance is so strong that he is sharing the character of Merlin with Patrick Stewart. And I much rather see him than Patrick Stewart. And that's not saying Patrick Stewart doesn't do well. Patrick Stewart's committed to this movie. Like he didn't just phone in his small little bit of time. Like he's, when he's on screen, he's, he's being Patrick Stewart. But Angus is so great. He's got so much charm. Uh, There's a lot of little jokes that are there. Um, I love the little jab at fast food, which I won't say what it is to not spoil the joke when it lands, but there's a really funny jab at fast food that I thought was just great. I generally think all the kids are fine, but Angus is like a superstar to me. Like he, he made this movie so much fun. I had such a blast with him. Um, And my daughter and I both were like so pleasantly surprised. Um, it's a fun movie. I don't think it's a perfect movie. There are definitely some some flaws. It's definitely at least 15 minutes too long. Um, easily could have trimmed off a couple of choices that maybe would have made the, the movie flow a little better too. Um, Rebecca Ferguson plays Morgana, the, the antagonist. Um, I liked her for the most part, but there were some things with her that didn't quite work. It wasn't like she was present, but not present. And there was this whole voice echoey thing I thought was a little too contrived, but overall I had a real, real fun time with this movie. And before I turn it over to you, I also had a really cool experience at my screening that I feel like you might appreciate and share. So I I go to my theater all the time. Um, and Tuesdays are usually completely dead. And I went to see this on a Tuesday night, even though Tuesday's a half price popcorn night. Um, that works for me. So my daughter and I go to the movies, and before we go to the, into our auditorium, I'm going to use the restroom because I don't want to go during the movie, right? So I walk into the restroom, and I'm surprised to find that the restroom is packed, that there are eight older guys, like in their 60s, in the bathroom, right? And I'm like, okay, that's surprising because I saw nobody else until this moment, basically. And so I, I like, you know, weave my way past them to get to the urinal, and I then hear them start talking, and I'm an, I'm intrigued because one of them looks to the other one, and goes, "Have you seen Stranger Things?" <laughs> and so my first thought, and sorry, older people who listen to podcasts, was, "Wow, they know how to use Netflix. That's impressive." And then the other guy goes, "Yeah, I, I started it, but I couldn't finish it. I, it freaked me out too much. I I had like two episodes left." And then they, they continue on this conversation. I'm just like, I'm loving this. I'm like, wow, that's so cool that they're into the show. Because Stranger Things is geared towards kids and or kids of the 80s, right? Like, that's the, the demo. Yeah. It's, it's our age and then current kids who can relate to the characters in that way. But so here are these older people who are talking about it and, and it, like, being nerds about it, basically. And I found that a lot of joy. So th- they, they're leaving the bathroom. I'm still using the urinal. And now I'm thinking to myself what movie are they going to see? <laughs> and sure enough, I walk into my auditorium and they eight, eight old men have taken the back row of the kid who would be king. And it's me and my daughter and then another older couple uh, in the who always sit in the front. I go to a lot of movies with them on accident. We just end up at the same screenings all the time. But so these eight guys I've never seen before. 
And I am so disappointed in myself for not approaching them and asking what the story was <laughs> because I feel like I witnessed a tag type moment, you know, like the movie yes. tag from last year, and I didn't take the time to learn the real story to make my own movie about them because I am c- confident that they are longtime friends who meet up once a once in a while to see like a kid movie or maybe they're like authorian like historians or you know what i mean like why are they at this movie and like i don't know i i've been fixated on it since i i saw this movie i love the movie but i've also been like dang it why didn't i stop and talk to those people <laughs> regret <laughs> yeah so um i had to share that little anecdote but yeah that was my experience seeing the movie they also enjoyed it i heard them cracking up a few times uh, that only made me smile more, mind you, because it's like, I hope when I'm 65, I still have that type of, I hope I have a friend group, and I hope I still have that kind of enthusiasm for movies like this, because um, I hope I don't ever turn jaded and bitter. I won't let that happen, John. Okay, well, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am pleased to say, it's, I also have a toilet a toilet tale, but that's oh. not for, that, that's coming later. Um, not to do with me. I, I am healthy in the toilet. But <laughs> what I also regret is that you didn't approach him because we could have had a monthly podcast, like Tales from the Urinals. Yeah. Where these guys <laughs> get together and just discuss, uh, you know, just film or random um, stories from their yeah, from their film going experiences. That could have been awesome. Yeah. But um, I'm glad that they went to see because I, I saw the kid who would be king uh, very recently and my screening wasn't full. And what I will say before I go into this film is. It's a shame to see how the box office is doing for this film because it's currently, I think it's made about 14 million worldwide. Yeah, and it was I like think, a 60 million dollar budget, I think. Yeah, and that's that's a shame because you know, it did, like like you say, the, the recent King Arthur films, including you know King Arthur: Legend of the Sword, which was yeah. horrible. This is a different take on the legend of King Arthur, and whilst I, I, I John is more effusive in this praise than I am. I just I didn't mind this film. I thought it was okay. I, I'm all for, you know, directors like Joe Cornish taking an old tale and modernising it, but not making it gritty and silly. You know, they brought back the childlike wonder mm-hmm. that these fairy tales and myths and should should give you. And I've seen so many people, John included as well, saying that, you know, this is the kind of film you would have loved when you were 10 years old or you wanted to be in this kind of film, you know, with a bunch of buddies you know, taking on the bad guys with your swords and then going home for your tea in the evening, your dinner's evening. Um, I didn't mind this film. I, I, the kids didn't win me over for the most part. I did like Merlin. We've spoken about that. I agree. Merlin was yeah. cool. I wasn't immediately sold by him. When I first saw him, I did think this guy's going to wind me up. But within, you know, seconds of seeing him, then he did the, the cool magic tricks and how he cast those spells. I was like, this is, this is different. I like it. And then how the joke, or say the joke, how it plays out later on in the film, that worked. And I too agree that Angus Imry was more watchable than Patrick Stewart, despite Patrick Stewart, yes, not phoning in his performance whatsoever. Um, I, it was a bit too long. I reckon, yeah, twenty minutes you could have you could have trimmed off. Yeah. It got a bit it got a bit bonkers by the end of it. I wasn't particularly keen on the score actually. I really didn't think the score elevated the scenes that well. For a kids' film, was it? it uh, when I was watching it, I thought, oh, bloody hell, some of these scenes could be quite scary. Certainly when it came to Morgana and her, how she changed during the film, and you know, come some of the villains, I thought younger kids might be quite freaked out by that, but maybe I'm just a big wimp who would have been scared by it. But I don't know. Tintagel looked great. 
um, I said to John as well. I didn't realise when they mentioned it. I just thought, oh, it's in Tadrill, Cornwall. I've been there. There's a shot. There's a shot where they're walking down the, the high street where the shops are. And I was like, I've walked down there. I've walked past that bakery. I've been there. I've been to this castle. And I didn't even realise, and it's it's lovely. Um, one of the other things I would like to mention is the kid who would be king made my glorious island of England slash United Kingdom look a bit boring. We this is a great oh. country. It, when I was watching it, I was thinking. Oh bloody! It, it it makes the country look quite dull, and it isn't a dull place. Some places are, but um, <laughs> I thought it was it didn't sell United Kingdom all that well. But I did enjoy, like I mentioned, like the Harry Potter slash kind of almost like the Star Wars kind of adventure. Getting the gang together, you've got the ones who aren't who aren't necessarily on board, like the Han Solo types, but they come along anyway and cause a bit of trouble. But everybody bands together for the greater good. And again, they're kids, which makes it even more fun and charming. I I had a good enough time with the film. I, As much as I don't like it happening, I'd heard a lot of people saying that it was very charming and, you know, really, really good film. And I think I went in with expectation and I, I, they didn't meet that for me. But mm. I, I did enjoy this film. It was obviously more than above average, but... Andy's kid, um, Louis Circus, was okay in the lead in 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 the lead role. Who else? Uh, who else did we have? The the other kid, Angus Inber was very good. De- Dean Shamu was okay as the kind of comedic sidekick. Yeah. Uh, you know who the, he the, reminded uh, me of? Um, the guy from Spider Man Jul- Homecoming. Yes, but also like Julian Dennison from Deadpool Two and. Yes. Uh, and I was like, I, like there are two better actors. I think that we just need. Not no offense to Dean. This is one of his. I think all four of the kids. This is one of their first big roles, and yeah. I think they are fine. But they they definitely have a little bit of you know woodenness to them at at moments. Um, Circus is trying to be like the hero kid, but uh, he's also trying to not be too much of the hero because he's supposed to be an underdog. And I don't I don't know. It it never feels like it's quite perfect again i don't think it's bad i just i i i see a weakness where it could have been a little more you know sanded off and smoothed out a little more and it would have i think elevated the movie to a a maybe that level that it needs to be to become iconic i don't know if it's going to get there i do think this will get a cult following um once it's on dvd or whatever but um which is a shame because i don't want cornish not to get another opportunity and right now financially it looks like he's going to be you know, indie film for the next one because he's not making any yeah. money on this right now, which is a shame. And it it kind of without meaning to sound patronising because we've spoken about this before, but sometimes it comes with the territory having younger actors. Mm. Like, to the, at this age, it was Tom Taylor and Rihanna Doris as well. But the Philosopher's Stone or the um, Sorcerer's Stone, as the United States call it, suffered massively from pretty bad child performances and look how they've all gone on to do pretty yeah. good things so yeah um, i mean even within that franchise like that first movie yes compared to like azkaban which is only what like four or five years later um leaps and bounds different performances from those those three um not that they're bad in the first one but yeah they they feel like they feel like people reading lines in in yes. the sorcerer's stone they and feel like their characters yeah and but by the third movie you, like you believe that's hermione and ron and harry um, and so, you know, if, if there were going to be a sequel here, which I, I, I also do want to give some credit here and not no spoiler, but they're not setting up a franchise with this. It, this could be a one off movie or it could be a franchise, but it's 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 not trying to it, it's 
Cornish set out to write this film, and I like that. It's it's this film is complete, um, even if not yeah. perfect. You don't get that, like you mentioned in the, with Escape Room. So many people nowadays are looking forward, thinking we could, you know, like I.e. Pred- the Predator, <laughs> oh, we God. could make another film out of this. What they don't realise is, yeah, people need to want to see your film, and unfortunately for the kid who would be king currently, not enough people are going to see it. Now it may get a spike; people may go to see it. It doesn't even look like it's going to break even and make bank, which is a shame because whilst I wasn't overly sold on the film, I, I would want it to make you know br- make its budget back and more because you know it, uh, Joe Cornish is a very talented director. I love to tackle the block and attack the block. Sorry, and obviously getting John Boyega and then look where he's gone on to become. But yeah, should a film be merited by its box office? We've mentioned before, no, never. Um, and the kid who would be king again like broken record whilst i wasn't blown away by it is better than its current box office standing so yeah. if you are listening and you haven't seen it do go and check it out because it's well worth it's well worth a watch in hollywood if you are looking to do another british punk movie i feel like angus emery would fit so perfectly into that role i don't know what it is about his his performance as merlin but i can just see him in a british punk movie um, kind of like what was the the how to talk to girls at parties from last Ooh. year, um, or uh, I we I just watched Twenty Four Hour Party People. I could totally see Angus Emery in one of those type of roles. Um, and Edgar Wright, if we're getting anything uh, British from you, cast this yeah. kid. He's so great. Um, you know, I, I'd I lo- like to see Edgar Wright do a British punk film. Dude, are you? Oh my god! I I just want to see his next movie. I don't care what it is. Um, Edgar Wright has me uh, I am a guaranteed opening day ticket for any Edgar Wright film um, I don't mean to gush but he is my favorite working director right now and oh, uh, his back catalog back catalog sells it so yeah and like I mean I, the world's end I still think is the best of of uh, the trilogy and I, it's not I love Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead but world's end I just think is a masterpiece and I want to see, uh, I'd love for him to work with, with Frost and uh, Peg again, but I, I, Emery or Emery, I'm all for. So let's get that yeah. kid in some movies guys. Cause he, he showed up here and I want to, I mean, God, I want to see what he does in something else. Um, you know, is it, is it a fluke? Does he have to be Merlin or can he be something more? Um, could he be the kid who, who could be King? Yes, exactly. His career. As in Elvis, right? So let's get Angus yeah. Emery. <laughs> no, um, I don't want an Elvis biopic, please. Let's not. Yeah, uh, let's leave that. If anyone's listening, by the way, don't. How to Talk to Girls at Parties was an abomination to fit to film. Um, I don't know if John saw it or liked it, but God, I. Ugh, it, 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 when he mentioned it, my skin prickled at the thought of it. It's funny. Uh, one, I'm a real big fan of Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Um, yeah. Inch, excuse me. And uh, same director um, or writer, I can't remember. I think he directed both. Um, and he's also in Hedwig. He is Hedwig, but he's not in uh, How to Talk to Girls at Parties. But Big Tuna recommended that movie to me. He really, really liked it. Um, I thought it was fine. I, I find my IMB how I felt. I, I didn't dislike it. Like you clearly hated it. I clearly um, did not. And I really wanted to because I love Elle Fanning and Nicole Kidman and the like. But yeah, um, I definitely wasn't. It reminded me of Dude, Where's My Car? In a weird way, um, a lot of the like the weird alien stuff. I can that, yeah. Yeah, uh, and it, you know, not as funny. A Dude, Where's My Car? Cracked me up back in the day. I don't know if it would hold up now, but like at the time, it came out at the right age for me, where I thought it was just hilarious. But um, 
yeah, I think that's that's probably all we have to say about who the, the kid who would be king. Although I keep calling it the kid in King Arthur's court, which is another movie. Um, that's a very yeah. That is a different movie. But, yes, but um, with the kid who would be king, it's clear to say we both enjoyed it. John again, yeah, he was. I think John enjoyed it a lot more than I did, but I still enjoyed it. So let's go into a film where we're. I mean, we're obviously going to agree on this. One, I mean, I'm, I'm Matt, sure. Matt, would you say that our opinion of the kid who would be king was split? And maybe it, even ooh, that would it this, be unbreakable? The it's I don't think the box office is going to be unbreakable for that movie. Unfortunately, it is. Uh, yeah, if anyone else isn't getting these hilarious puns here, <laughs> then uh, yeah, this is Glass is next up, and obviously, as we all know, it's directed by the Shamhammer, M Night Shyamalan. Uh, however, I'm sure I said that right. Shyamalan, 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 starring James McAvoy, Bruce Willis from you know stop doing DVD movies. It's Bruce Willis. <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson, Sarah Paulson, Anya Taylor-Joy, and Spencer Treat-Clark. And I guess it's not um, hyperbole to say that Glass was probably one of the, if not the first, of the early anticipated releases for 2019, I think. Split was surprisingly decent. I wasn't expecting a huge amount from it, but I had a great time with Split. And McAvoy was a standout with his 20-something personalities and Patricia and all of those, and Hedwig. Um, and the final scene got everybody excited. Unbreakable's David Dunn slash Bruce Willis shows up. Um, what I would say on that note is, if you haven't seen Glass, do watch Unbreakable beforehand because it does add a few extra layers to the film. But in Glass, McAvoy's character, the Beast slash Kevin Wendell Crumb, is pitted against David Dunn. Sam Jackson's Mr. Glass joins the fray, and Sarah Paulson plays a shifty doctor whose task it is to convince them that their powers are just in their head. Now. Um, I came out of the film disappointed. Now this isn't not this is not the happening. This isn't a, a awful movie, but I was disappointed when I came out of Glass, and I, it almost makes me feel sad to say it. But you know there are some very very good moments in this film. The first hour of the film, I'd say, was is actually really good, and it's got a really strong opening to the film. But overall, it fell apart for me towards once things started to move quicker and quicker that's when it stopped working and Shyamalan's gimmick of having like a big twist and that's not a spoiler because everybody knows he has one to me it interferes with his storytelling because things kind of just move along and happen just so we can get to that bit at the end which we all know is happening and he can't. He's, it kind of seems like he's more interested in that now and there was a lack of energy and momentum for me in this film and I mentioned Bruce Willis I really felt sorry for Bruce Willis because he would, Shyamalan probably told him, "Look, come on, try, please try in this film," and he just, for me, he just phoned it in. And this is Bruce Willis. This guy was the, he was the first name on the poster. He was the box office draw of the '90s almost. He just doesn't seem interested. And Sam Jackson's having a great time. McAvoy is the MVP here. He's a, he's so good as this character and how he turns in all of these different personalities. Anya Taylor Joy is unforgivably shafted in this film and I love that woman in every, in every way imaginable but yeah Sarah Paulson steals the show in that sense she's she's very good but yeah. uh, it looked good visually it sounded good you know it had a good score but uh, expectation got the better of me here and when I was watching it I just wasn't particularly entertained or excited or drawn in and I did not really care much for the ending which 
again, almost breaks my heart to say because I really enjoyed Unbreakable. I thought Split was great. And in this kind of strange comic book experiment trilogy that nobody ever thought was going to happen, it's the ending. They couldn't stick the landing for me. And um, that's the biggest shame of it all because everybody, everybody wants comic book films or comic book inspired films, superhero inspired films, which feel fresh, which feel different, which don't follow the same formula. And Shyamalan is giving us this. But for me, this final one just didn't work. It was too on the nose at times. And that's, for me, my thoughts. Now, I believe John may be slightly different to yeah. uh, how I feel. I, I am, and I'm going to preface mine. Um, I have followed Shyamalan's career with, like, almost like watching a car accident. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe it's more like watching a, a terrific athlete who is... Uh, doing the best that they've ever possibly been right from the get-go like the you know they're they come out and everyone's like oh my god who is this person how do we not know who they were like tiger woods yeah and then you slow is in fact yes um in a lot of ways because there's that big part where you start going well maybe he started too good and you slowly watch the decline and then the decline gets faster and then it's a train wreck um which is an appropriate metaphor here and uh, you are watching <laughs> it. You're like, you I shouldn't be looking at this. This is horrible. Why am I staring? Um, and that's you know, it, it's like Sixth Sense is so good. And to me, Unbreakable takes it to the next level. Unbreakable is one of my favorite films. It's in my top fifty. I absolutely love that movie. I love Bruce Willis in it. I love Sam Jackson in it. And I love the kid who I think is amazing that they got him back for Glass. Spencer yeah, Treat Clark. True. Um. And Robin Wright in Unbreakable, who they couldn't get for Glass, uh, so they killed her off. That's not a spoiler, because that's just... It's literally a wasted scene in the movie, um, one that could have been cut out because it, it goes nowhere. Uh, you know what I'm talking about when, like, it's a flashback? Yeah, yeah. You can't, yeah it's meant to be... You're meant to believe it's real when it's here. Yeah, it's it's literally just, like, a waste of our time in the end, because it, it does not pay off in any, any meaningful way. But... Um, I, I loved Unbreakable, and then I, I, I'm one of the few who didn't really love Signs. Uh, I actually have a lot of problems with Signs, specifically the swing-away garbage. Um, but, uh, <laughs> and um, I like The Village uh, more than most. I actually found the, the twist in The Village, which a lot of people hated, I was captivated by, um, because I had been duped, and I, I, that doesn't happen to me too often, where I'm completely, like, 100% thrown off when it happens. Yeah. And then uh, I, I have not given Lady in the Water a 100% fair shake because I watched it at like, uh. a Thanksgiving dinner with a bunch of people in the house and it definitely didn't get uh, all of my attention. But yeah, that's why I've not given it my full attention. I wasn't impressed with what I did see and I've heard nothing really great about it. Um, and then and then it gets exponentially worse, right? I mean, we get into... Um, you get The Last Airbender, which might be one of the worst movies, period, ever. And I was a fan of Avatar The Last Airbender, the cartoon series, so I was even more disappointed than most people. Um, and then you get After Earth, which is so bad. Um, <laughs> and so I think After Earth, we were all thinking Shyamalan was done, that we were never going to see him again, that his career was over. And I did leave The Happening off because, you know, what? No. It is bad. Um, yeah, The Happening, so, so bad. Uh, although the happening possibly a prequel to Bird Box, just throwing that out there. But <laughs> um, we get the visit, and the visit. While I don't love mainly because I can't stand the kid rapping in the stupid movie, um, mm -hmm. 
who would both of the the actors in the visit are in Better Watch Out, which is a great Christmas yeah. horror film. Um, but uh, the visit was surprising, and it ended up being a Shyamalan esque twist. But I liked it, and then we got Split, what I I did not see coming in so many ways. But McAvoy and Anya Taylor Joy in that movie are so terrific. Yeah. Um, and McAvoy, who I, I'm going to spend a little more time with, um, but his performance in Split is fantastic. But all of the personalities happen, the changing happens off screen. So he comes on screen as a new personality, I think almost completely throughout Split, which is not true in Glass. He changes in frame. Like we're watching him and you see in his eyes the character transition and it is a phenomenal performance that is not going to get any love from awards, and it's a shame because, my God, whether you agree with like the depiction of mental health, which has been a big debate with both Split and Glass because Shyamalan did pick a real disorder and is not representing the real disorder at all how it actually is, so like why not make up a disorder then so that it's not going to anger people who actually have it or who yeah. are in the scientific community? So that's a debatable thing, but that's not McAvoy's decision. So I'm not going to fault McAvoy for that. His performance is impressive, whether or not he's representing the disorder correctly. Um, but Shyamalan and his career have been fascinating to me. Um, from I, I've seen everything but Lady in the Water completely. Like I've seen all of them. Um, I haven't watched any of his shows and he's written some things that uh, he didn't direct. Like I think he wrote devil, which I did see. Um, but I I think Glass is essentially his like manifesto in some way of uh, what he thinks the filmmaker should be and forget everyone who tries to tell you that what you're doing isn't good because you're not doing it for them. You're doing it to express your own point of view. And while I won't always agree with that point of view, I agree with the sentiment that Glass is ultimately putting out there. And I, I had a blast with the movie. Um, it does do some weird things. And I, I think I appreciate those weird things in a way that I wouldn't always. And it's, I, I am an often contractor to some people. Like, people love the original Suspiria. I don't understand what they love about it. Um, it, it just doesn't work for me. Uh, same thing, honestly, one of the, my most, uh, I would say, notorious hot takes is that I don't like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, I don't understand why people think it's so great. To me, it's not scary only because it's so over the top and predictable. Um, and the characters make horrible choices time and time again in that movie. And I'm just like, <laughs> stop doing the thing you're doing. And um, I, I don't know. Again, I, I'm not saying it's a bad movie, but for me, I don't, I don't see the allure that other people do where they put it up there with the best. And I'm not saying M. Night Shyamalan's the best, nor is Glass the best. But man, is he going for what he wants to make? And I, a part of me loves that. Um, and when you look at all the like the story behind this, like that he put up twenty million of his own dollars to make this movie, and if it failed, he personally would be in financial ruin. And it didn't fail, so there's a success story there. And um, the fact that this movie exists, like you even alluded to, how how did this happen? How did we get here where we have a trilogy on this superhero thing? And I've heard a lot of criticisms that um, I can't dispute. Like, a lot of his commentary on comic books feels like he wrote this 
before Marvel started making movies that everybody's going to, because he's like explaining these like what comics are and how people are attached to them. It's like, dude, have you been paying attention? Really on the nose, yeah. yeah. Um, and well, it wouldn't have been on the nose if this came out when Unbreakable came out, but it's not. And he didn't. It's like he hasn't been paying attention to the landscape of cinema um, and the world now, because comic books are ubiquitous now. You know, it's no longer the nerdy kid in school arguing that they're worth something. The world loves comic book movies, at the very least. And, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, a lot of his little criticisms and jabs at that genre and whatnot aren't as relevant, or at least not as intelligent as he seems to think they are. But, man, I can't help but just applaud some of the audacity, aud- audacious moments. There are some questionable choices at the end, for sure. And I, I don't love all of them, but I walked out really pleased with this movie. Um, I definitely have I have issues for sure, but the, I am more than willing to overlook most of them because I had a I I felt satisfied, you know, um, n- not over full. You know, I don't feel like I'm going to be sick because it was too great hmm. or too, I didn't stuff myself, you know, past the point of uh, satisfaction. But I just enough to feel comfortable walking away from it. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of thoughts about this movie, which is always something when a movie leaves a lasting impression and I keep wanting to talk about it and keep thinking on it more. And, um, it's hard to not get past it. I, I think Samuel L. Jackson, uh, while it has a very interesting role in this movie, cause he's, he's doesn't get to do much for a long while. Um, but once he does, man, does he bring that character back a hundred percent from unbreakable uh, the biggest disappointment, I agree completely with you, is Bruce Willis still feels like what who we've been getting lately. And I am, I think my love of Hudson Hawk speaks volumes for my love of Bruce Willis, because he 100% makes that movie great to me, Hudson Hawk. Um, and I have been disappointed uh, time and time and time again with him. Um, last year's Death Wish was one of the worst movies I saw. Cool. And... Uh, I, I want him to be great because I've seen, I mean, God, John McClane, Fifth Element is one of the funnest movies from the 90s, you know? I can throw that on at any time and I crack up and have a blast. And then you Armageddon. watch... Armageddon. Oh, mm, I do not agree with that. <laughs> just, for the, just, just for the box office draw and he looks like he was trying. True. That I won't dispute. And, like, I I hear, um, I, I watched Looper, but it's I've only seen Looper once and a lot of people pull that as his last, like, really strong performance. Um, I remember him being very stoic, but it was supposed to be um, in that movie. But I didn't think it was a particularly great performance in that film. And I also hear Moonrise Kingdom. And I couldn't get past the choice Wes Anderson had to have two actual teenagers in their underwear kissing. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't get past the grown man. And I'm a Wes Anderson fan, mind you, but I couldn't get past that choice of like a grown man. Go, hey, you two, get in your underwear and kiss. Because I just can't. <laughs> Weird. It's weird. It's it's hard to say it's not weird. Like I'm not saying kids don't do that. I'm saying a grown man shouldn't make two kids do that. That's what I'm saying. Um even for a movie, it seems weird. Uh but Bruce Willis in that I, I barely remember, so I, I I don't know that I can give that dis- argument. But it's been a while that we've known Bruce Willis does not like acting. He is that employee who has been at his job for too long and hates it, but doesn't know what else to do with his life and he's just going through the motions. And it's we don't often think about actors doing that because we all think that's a job that we would all want because you make a lot of money and it looks like fun. 
But if you don't like what you're doing, you don't like what you're doing. And it's very clear that Bruce Willis does not like acting. Um, he used to. And at some point, it stopped. It stopped being fun and it became a job. And that's how he seems to treat it. And if he, if you listen, you know, Kevin Smith has had those stories and whatnot. Um, yes. I, I don't know if that's just maybe how he treated Kevin Smith or if Kevin Smith was wrong and that's, you know, he's got the voice that Willis doesn't have because Smith is willing to talk about it. And I've never heard Bruce Willis talk about Kevin Smith. But I sure have heard Kevin Smith talk about Bruce Willis. So, you know, um, I don't want to just take Kevin Smith's side and say that's truth, but what Kevin Smith argues seems to be evident in the films of Bruce Willis. And it's a shame because I was hoping with M night Shyamalan, he would go a hundred percent. And I'm not, he doesn't necessarily do anything bad here, but I also feel like Shyamalan was like maybe aware that he wasn't a hundred percent in and wrote the character kind of to the side. Like he's there, he's present. He's at arm's length. Yeah. But it's like, you're, you're here just because I need you to be here. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like, this movie won't work for everyone, but if you're fortunate to feel like I feel, um, you'll really enjoy this. Uh, and again, I'm not saying I'm right, but for me, it clicked, it worked, and that makes me happy because I wanted it to work. And I was really afraid it wasn't going to, especially when those Rotten Tomato scores started dropping and <laughs> our fellow critical community was not loving it. So I was like, oh no, this is not good, but yeah. it worked for me. Well, that's what, that's the, what I love about film as well, because... It might it may as well have been the same time myself and JB walked out of the theatre on opposite sides of the Atlantic. I was disappointed. John was, you know, he was satisfied, but didn't have didn't have didn't quite have a food coma, but he was satisfied. And I love how a film can do that. And mm-hmm. I mean, Bruce Willis was outacted by Hayden Christensen in a film a couple of years ago, First Kill. So, guy's <laughs> given up. And this may be controversial, but Bruce, if you're not if you, if your mind's not in it. Give it up. Just stop, please. Just don't bother. If, if you don't want to be there, I've worked with enough people in my various roles, and you think, you're not even trying. Just candy noticing and leave. You're, you're rich enough. You're doing yourself a disservice. Now, I like... This has come from somebody who enjoys Bruce Willis in, in when he is in those Bruce Willisy roles, which you've just mentioned, but if you're not going to... If you're not going to come, you know, bring your A-game to a film like Glass, then what is going to get you out of your... Your, your slump but yeah in terms of you mentioned um, Shyamalan putting his own money in which is a massive it's extremely credible but 178 million it's made Unbreakable almost 20 years ago made 250 million yeah. probably probably chuck an extra 50 million on top for inflation Split a couple of years ago made 280 million people wow. aren't go, people aren't going out to see Glass based on the fact that they liked those two films which I find very interesting that people didn't you know this has lost i mean a hundred million dollars less business from split and this is a film with sam jackson james mcavoy and bruce willis in it plus andy taylor joy sarah paulson who in their own right are fabulous actresses so mm-hmm. why aren't people going out to see is it a case that the the um the bot the critical uh, reviews that have come out and the rotten tomato and the metacritic scores are actually putting people off or is it because i thought the marketing was really really good and one of the yeah. scenes in this in the trailer where the three uh, guys are together being interrogated by Sarah Paulson's character in that pink room was my favourite scene of the movie. I love that. It's the highlight of the film. But it's in the trailer. But yeah, it, the marketing was great. The post looked great. It, uh, just, just for me, the overall execution wasn't good. And Glass is the film where I have a, I have a restroom story as well. Oh, well, I want to hear that. It also involves a few guys st- standing at the urinal. 
<laughs> and um, I, I, I won't dwell too much on it, but we, you know, it, we had it was again busy. Lots of people standing at the urinals, you know. And I don't, guy, guys out there will understand that sometimes when you are standing there in a row of people, a row of other men, sometimes you find it hard to perform straight away. You, you know, you have to really strain, really, mm-hmm. really push. But um, it, I could hear like the sort of desperate strains of men trying to wee basically and then out of and then suddenly out of nowhere the 18th synth bop of Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up came on and then it was this strange moment where all these guys were trying not to, were trying to look around trying not to trying to ignore each other's you know strains and murmurs and at the same time heads bopping people were murmuring the suit tune and their feet were tapping I thought this is the weirdest thing ever I'm, I'm with about eight other guys suffering from the same issue here like nervous weeing but we're all really getting into Rick Astley, so um, yeah, that's my toilet story. And um, oh man, that's hilarious. John mentioned Hudson Hawk. John manages to mention Hudson Hawk on every show, yep. so I'm going to mention. No, that may not be John's favourite film. My favourite film is The Exorcist. I've mentioned it now. I've done my part. Also, John doesn't like horses in films, so um, uh, that's no longer true. <laughs> oh god, now it's me because I still lean on Pete. But yeah, for Glass, it was yeah for me. I was one of those people who saw it and gave it the. Rotten rating, much to John's chagrin, I must say. But mm-hmm. I, I really, really wanted to be to love this film, but it just didn't do it for me like I hoped I would. Certain elements of it are fabulous. James McAvoy should be getting more buzz than he did, but again, it's a January film. He's not going to come year end. But yeah, I, I wanted more from this film. Well, before we, uh, that's the big four for the month. Before we move into the other movies from this month that we saw. I do want to point out something because you just brought up your. I wasn't thrilled with you giving it the rotten um, on Rotten Tomatoes. However, my biggest issue I've had with you and your your <laughs> tomato scores does not come from Glass. It is that you gave the favorite a rotten score, and Mary Queen of Scots the the certified fresh score, and I am not okay with that. <laughs> like, yeah, I just realized as well, Mary Queen of Scots. Came, I don't know when did I don't know when it came out in the states, but it came out in England in January. So that's another film to have oh. but. Um, yeah, um, uh, well, in that case, then, when we get to the best of the rest, I will contest that um, slur. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I'm okay with us disagreeing, but man, um, for you to like, because the favorite's in my top five from last year, and I, I am, and I will admit, I am a Yorgos Lanthimos fanboy at this point. I have enjoyed all of his movies. I, I will not recommend Dogtooth to anybody, <laughs> but I still... No, no. I appreciate that as a film. I don't know that I'll ever revisit it, but I love the lobster. I love killing of a sacred deer and I love the favorite. Um, so, uh, and I did not love Mary queen of Scots and I wanted to, and I want that to be clear. I wanted to love it because I'm a big Saoirse Ronan fan, but yeah, even with her in it, I still did not like Mary queen of Scots. I am going to save my uh, praise or negativity for later on, and everybody out there will have to sit on tenterhooks until we get to that moment. But for now, shall we move on? Yeah, let's look at the other films that we saw in January. Um, So we won't go nearly as in-depth as we did with those first four, but uh, we're going to kind of touch on some things. Um, The first one is uh, Green Book, um, which for us, it came out way back, I think, in November in the States. Um, but it was not close enough for me to be able to see it. So I've been waiting, waiting, waiting. Yeah, it came out November 16th here in the U.S. And um, it's directed by uh, Peter Farrelly. And um, 
stars Viggo Mortensen, Marshall Ali, and Linda Cardellini. And uh, it's a movie that uh, did really well at the Golden Globes. Um, I think uh, Marshall got Best Supporting, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he did. And then Best... Uh, was it Best Comedy that won, or did it win... Yeah, it was um, Best Comedy. Was it comedy Bo- slash Drama or something, wasn't it? Or- uh, musical. Comedy slash Musical. Because yes. Bohemian and As... Uh, sorry, A Star is Born both went for the drama category instead of the musical. Which makes no sense. Me... Uh, me either. I, I, I was going to say, I also agree. But um, I went into Green Book uh, kind of nervous because there is a lot of criticism about this film. Um, one, it's it's basically depicting a white guy uh, learning not to be racist and at the same time teaching a black man how to quote-unquote be a black man. And that is inherently not okay. Um, and so, I, and there's also, there's been talk about the Dr. Shirley estate uh, criticizing some of the script elements of this film. Uh, the film was written, or at least co-written, by the son of Tony Lip, who Viggo Mortensen was playing. Um, yep. So there's controversy there. Uh, and I didn't want to love this movie, and I totally loved this movie. It was hmm. a lot of fun. Um, I could not help but be charmed by Viggo Mortensen and Marshall Ali um, and Linda Cardellini, even though she's got a small role. Um, her There's a quiet charm about her that I really, I really liked a whole lot in the film. But man, Viggo Mortensen and Marshall Hawley were just so good together. Like they had so much chemistry, and I I'm a big fan of both of the actors. Anyways, like I've seen uh, History of Violence, um, Captain Fantastic are two I think lesser seen Viggo Mortensen vehicles. Obviously, Lord of the Rings uh, being the one where most people will know him. Um, Witness. I you know I've not watched Witness. That's the Harrison Ford uh, Amish movie. Mm-hmm, yep. I have that. That movie keeps coming back into my freaking world, man. I need to finally watch it. Um, Check it out. But then Moonlight, uh, where Marshall Holly was, I think, initially introduced to me. That's where at least I became super familiar with him. Um, but I've seen several of his films, and he was also on the Luke Cage uh, Netflix series as uh, Copperhead, I think was the name of the, the villain, or Copper something. Um, I, I didn't actually watch the Luke Cage series. Um, but uh, I, I really enjoyed this movie, so I... I hope that's okay. I don't know if it's okay for me to like it, but I, I did. Yeah, this is a, again, as with the favourite, this came out, this is a 2019 film for the United Kingdom, and it's probably the most controversial film of the year, other than Bohemian Rhapsody, it would seem, but yeah. I loved it. I loved it, and I, I saw the film before I knew of the controversy surrounding it. Um, we obviously Viggo Mortensen using the N-word uh, gratuitously, apparently, though I'm not sure it really was, but... I, I didn't it, even think he said it. Another he, character says it. No, I mean, and it was in an in a, in an interview, like a press conference about the film. Oh, he, he used the word, but he was kind of using it as if to say, you know, years ago people would use this word disparagingly, and nowadays they don't. But it caused a lot of uproar just because he obviously he said he said it, and only got Nick Vallelonga, the guy who wrote it's been had some questionable tweets. Peter Farrelly's had some misdemeanors in the past. It's all come to light. That doesn't seem to be derailing the film too much because it's still winning awards left, right, and centre, and it's still one of the favourites for uh, the best picture. And if you listen to Big Tuna, it's one of the big favourites still for the best picture because I've got it as the sweepstake. Um, I loved it. Viggo Mortensen and Mahershala Ali are so good together. I found it to be charming, funny, and emotional. It's cliche-ridden, and the end is covered in syrup and sugar, but I don't care because it was great. Um, I think that the humour in it is good. It softens the blow because the attitudes towards racism, homophobia, and bigotry, they're there for, for everybody to see. They're not subtle. They're out there. But Farrelly, this is the guy who did Dumb and Dumber and something about Mary with his brother. 
the humor is clever it comes from the characters it's not it's not necessarily visual gags the characters interactions yeah. so there was a scene about a discarded soda cup which had been stitches but um yeah like john said the internet is going to tell you that you are wrong or you're a bad person for liking this and the internet is wrong oh my swore then the internet is wrong as yeah. a movie green book is fabulous if you can and again i'd never try to preach somebody how to watch a film but we've mentioned it before art from the artist separate it take the film on face value the film is fabulous it's well acted it's well directed it's a feel-good film but it is a feel-good film i felt good after watching it I didn't feel dirty or filthy or grimy. I enjoyed watching it. So far for me, it's the best film of the year, and I stick to that until something else comes along and beats it. Yeah, um, it's one that I, I will get to own um, as part of our Regal Cinema's uh, Watch 4. It was, if you saw Green Book, Boy Erased, On the Basis of Sex, and Mary Queen of Scots, uh, you get all four digital. Um, nice. And of the four, Green Book is by far my favorite. Um, I thought Boy Race was the second best, and then On the Basis of Sex, and then far, far, I will likely <laughs> never rewatch Mary Queen of Scots, but I will own it. So, <laughs> um, so you may watch it, you never know. Who knows, right? Maybe Double I'll, Bill with a favorite. Maybe I'll get intrigued by it or something. But um, <laughs> uh, what's the next movie, Matt? The next film is a film which I put on. I recently released a, a, a most anticipated slash intriguing films of the year podcast episode. Serenity is the next film. And that was on it because because a Hitchcockian, sort of Billy Wilder-esque neo-noir thriller with Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway, both actors who I think are brilliant. It just sounded amazing. It's awful. <laughs> it's a bad film. It's, um, I don't want to say too, it's convoluted, it's confused, it's stupid. Had um, Stephen Knight, the director, he set up this the, the character threads quite well. Uh, Matthew McConaughey, McConaughey's character is a Fisher is a captain, fisherman captain who is struggling with demons and uh, guilt-ridden and ang- whatever. He's having a bad time, basically. <laughs> had they had that, and then you know his ex-wife shows up with this proposition for him. It's kind of very, you know, and is it, I'm thinking this is great. And I saw a trailer for it before coming coming online, and I thought the trailer makes this out to be a totally different film from what you saw because yes. night. Decides to completely muddy everything up by having terrible dialogue. The start, the actors, the lead actors are handcuffed and stifled. There's these weird twists, useless side characters, a metaphor about a big fish, which they keep going back to, and an utterly ridiculous overall revelation behind a mystery. And it makes no sense. It is a massive shame because there was so much potential here if they just kept it simple. But they made this big, twisty, silly mess. And I was unbelievably disappointed by Serenity. And John told me not to read anything going into this film, and now I know why. <laughs> well, yeah, I was. I, you needed to not know hmm. so much about this movie. Serenity is quite possibly has the record for me for the fastest I've ever said what the f is going on in a movie. <laughs> um, I think the opening shot uh, threw me off because I went in expecting a noir thriller. Um, cause I also had, I somehow managed to avoid spoilers and the opening shot is the camera is underwater and rockets out and the music is like an action movie. It's like, and the camera is flying towards a fishing boat and there are two drunk guys yes. on the deck and the camera goes to the God view and we're looking down on them. And I'm just like, what is happening? What is, 
why is this the shot for this movie? And I come into the film late. Y- yes, it's like there's this does not make sense as an opening shot for the film I was advertised. Um, and yet, there is something so crazy about this movie mm-hmm. that if you are a person who likes to see a movie that's so bad, it starts to become intriguing. That this is a movie for you for sure. <laughs> I'm not saying it's good, not at all. Um, I I am fairly confident that Stephen Knight has some blackmail from McConaughey and Hathaway because there is no reason for these two actors to take this script. There is just not. Unless there are things that were like manipulated in post where these two actors didn't know what the heck they were in, no reason for them to do this movie. So... Yeah, I agree. Yeah. The trailer sold a different film. Which is sometimes really cool but often bites them in the butt um i don't know if it does anything for this it definitely was not what i was expecting and that's not a compliment um the movie goes to crazy places it it, the even when you uh there's a really great slash film episode where they talk about this movie um that came out last week and if you don't mind spoilers or if you've seen serenity and you want spoilers uh listen to that part because the things they they bring up are so relevant and so true it's mind-boggling at this that this film exists um no surprise it got dumped in january of course but uh yeah not one matter and i are not saying you should go see this but this is one of those things like if if you have the ability to see this and you like crazy spectacle and you like being so shocked that it upsets you in a entertaining kind of way because like i literally like was sitting up at one point like leaning forward like what is happening? Why are they doing any yeah. of this? Um, so, yeah, I was Why definitely... Why would they do it? Yes. Why would they do it? Um, yeah. To be fair, I've not seen any of Stephen Knight's other films. Um, I'm, I've been meaning to watch Locke because I am a Tom Hardy fan. That's a good I, film. And I've heard that. Um, and I just... he's Did he direct Pinky Blinders? No, he uh, I think he I don't, Did he do some of them all? He might have produced he's, it. He's got to stuff do on here. But, and I haven't seen Redemption, the uh, Jason Statham film, which I... They're I both, seen that. They're both credited as 2013 films too, which is weird. Um, I haven't seen that. We have anybody in the UK that has has one of the unlimited cards, which we sp- I was speaking to John about. You pay a couple of quid a month, 20, quid, 20, 20 bucks, you get watch as many films as you want all day, every day for a whole month for just 20 pounds. Go and watch it. Cause if, it does, if, it, if, if, if it's just one film you just want to watch, you're not necessarily paying for it on the day, go check it out because it's, it, it's an experience. And I feel... That this was the first film that was released, which I mentioned on my anticipated intriguing list, and I did think, oh my god, I'm going to look a complete ass now because it's really bad. <laughs> but I was sold by the uh, by the actor, the you know the lead duo, and it's got a pretty solid cast as well. With Diane Lane's in it as well, which she, she's it's got a good backup, and uh, Jim on Hunsell, I can't never say his name, but he's in it. It's got a very solid cast. The premise was good. The trailers made this out to be really, really intriguing mystery. Just yeah. to, but be warned, the trailers massively oversell this film, and it's not anything like the trailers. So if I could go back and remove it, redo my anticipated list, I would take this off knowing what I know now. Yes, hindsight is twenty twenty. Um, yes. All right, so we also both saw Colette. Um, this movie came out, again, earlier in 2018, well, late in 2018, but I did not see it then. I saw it this month. Uh, my wife caught part of it on a plane. Uh, wanted to watch it so i was prompted to finally see it um 
And wow, according to IMDb, it was actually released in January of last year. Really? Um, yeah, it's been a festival I, or something. It must sure. have been at Sundance or something. Um, uh, so it, it it was playing locally, I think, back in October here, and I didn't get to see it. Um, but Big Tuna recommended it, then you recommended it, then my wife saw part of it on a plane, and she wanted to watch it, so I finally watched it, um, and I found it to be really intriguing. It stars Kira Knightley, Dominique West, um, and uh, I mentioned her name earlier, but I'm not going to remember it. Um, Denise Goff. That's it. Uh, there's some other people in there, but I think those are the big, to me, those are the big three. Really, it's Kira Knightley's movie, um, directed by Wash Westmoreland. That's like three separate words just pieced together there. Um, <laughs> some made up name. Yeah, uh. I'm not always a Kira Knightley fan. Um, I've actually missed a lot of her films because I'm not a big fan of period pieces. So, like, I didn't watch her uh, Sense and Sensibility. I think she's in or one of the yeah, like those Jane Austen films. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't do do well with those, so I don't go to those. And this movie kind of had that vibe in the poster trailer for me, so I was kind of skipping it. Um, it's it's definitely not that. It is that, and it's not that. Um, there's some really good cinematography in this film that I was impressed by. I, I definitely like the performances. And Dominic West keeps winning me over. Uh, the more I mm-hmm. see him in, the more I like him. Um, so, yeah, this movie's entertaining, and I like it. Yep, agreed. Kira Knightley, I think she's I think she's superb in this film, in fact. I think she doesn't sometimes doesn't get enough credit, I don't think. But she is brilliant. Uh, yeah, Dominic West is charming. He's sinister. And he's really sl- sleazy, but in a, such a well-acted way. Mm-hmm. The two of them are really good together. Denise Goff, Denise Goff is excellent. She's a cross-dressing aristocrat back in those days when that was, you know, whoa, we don't do that. And it's, it, this film just goes to show how far women's rights and LB, LGBTQ rights have come. We've still got a long way to go, but this film shows that we have made progress along the way. But it's good. There's some good humour in it. It's never too predictable. It's a story about, you know, very... Uh, prized author from France, and it's not a caricature story. It's not overly dramatized. Doesn't that doesn't give you this big flashy over the top ending? It's just a really good kind of um, like pseudo faux biopic type film. It's yeah. really good. Uh, some the, the writing's pretty good, except for one bit, which just sound a couple of bits sounded really odd. Dominic Car- Dominic West's character called Willie, yeah. and at uh, one point he says to Colette, "Put your hand in my pocket. There's something in there." And she says, "Willie." And I thought I shouldn't be laughing at this, but I'm going to sit here and chuckle at this, <laughs> <laughs> which is this is me. That's that's what you get with me. But it, I did think surely you t- cut that bit out. Come on, but yes, it looked great. It is a period piece, which is better than the favourite. Oh, sorry, um, <laughs> it's a good it's a good film. I was I too was kind of thought thinking it was going to be a bit, you know, a bit dawdling, a bit because the trailers didn't really didn't really sell it that well. I don't think, but no, and- collect. I was gonna say, if you doubt us with the it not being too tawdry, there's a fart joke in this movie. Um, <laughs> I would never have expected in a million years for there to be a fart joke in this movie, and sure enough, there is a fart joke in this movie. You get flatulence <laughs> jokes and a willy joke from me yeah. as well. So, so that's yeah. mine and John's humor laid out on a plate there. <laughs> um, yeah, I've, this is a, this is a film which is far better than I thought it was going to be, and uh, if you get a chance to check it out, do so because it's it's well worth a watch. All right, we got a couple more that we both have seen, um, and this is uh, Barry Jenkins' new film, If Beale Street Could Talk. Um, I love Moonlight. Um, I love that Barry Jenkins is a Florida State graduate um, because, one, I had one of my students just finish school there not too long ago, and uh, I have another one of my students there right now. So I love that it's getting recognized for film. Um, It stars Kiki Lane, uh, Stefan James, Regina King, Coleman Domingo, who – I just I don't think Coleman Domingo gets enough respect. I love him in everything I've seen him in. 
and he's really great in this. Um, there's a few other actors who play some roles. Uh, you get some crazy cameos from Diego Luna, Finn Whitrock, um, Pedro Pascal, and yeah, and uh, Ed Skrine, and I think the biggest shock um, was uh, James Fran- Dave no, Franco. Dave, Dave Franco, excuse yeah. me, the Franco that I like. Um, <laughs> and yet again, Brian Tyree Henry, who has had oh, a hot streak, man, arguably the best year of 2018. I mean, everything he's been in one has been great, but two, he has been terrific up against huge actors like Viola Davis. That dude like stands toe to toe with Viola Davis. Can you like few people I think can do that. can be in the same room as her and me think of both of them and not just her because she when she was so good in that film. Yes. And here he is again. My favorite scene in this film that I loved was him. Um, him talking about just life with with uh, the Stefan James character. I love that scene so much. It is the scene that I keep thinking about when I think about this movie. Um, this movie worked so well for me. Um, I did feel guilt um, because of the horrid treatment of, of black people by white people in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's hard not to, but... I don't think that's necessarily what the movie's trying to do. It's it's a gorgeous love story, and it is a poetic film, man. It just feels so well-crafted. It I've heard some people say it's too polished, but I think that's what it was the intent, and it worked for me. So I'm content with that. I love the, the production design, the score. It, it's, it's a movie where it draws attention to those other elements that I think people often just they become a part of the movie rather than being looked at individually. And this movie draws attention to those things, but in a way that works really well and adds to the film, doesn't detract from it. Um, that's my take on it. I, I don't want to talk too much because we are in the latter part of the show. And we're trying not to spend two hours doing this, but yeah, um, big fan of this movie. Yeah. Agreed. I thought it was brilliant. A real fury bubbling away. Jenkins knows you, you, Jenkins knows how to put across a message yet not have it be heavy-handed, but you know mm-hmm. it's um, it's seething away underneath the underneath the performances. The, the, the Kiki Lane and Stephen Rogers are excellent. Regina King is marvelous. There are some brilliant set pieces in this film. Really tense moments. There's and like you say, that's a really nice love story against you know the set against the awful backdrop of just racism and prejudice. There's prejudice. There's a wonderful love story. Jenkins' signature style is all over this, the close-ups and the way that the characters take centre stage all the time. It is a fabulous, really, really good film. Nicholas Breitel's score is excellent. The I was one of the people who mentioned the word polished in my review, but that was because of the dialogue. At times it felt like he'd literally just taken the words directly from the book and had the characters say them. They didn't always feel entirely natural at times, but that's the dialogue, not the performances. Uh, but yeah, Barry Jenkins continues to impress Brian Ty- Tyree Henry. What a CV that guy's getting! He is going to be in Child's Play this year, so that oh. may be the end of the line for him. But oh, no. um, <laughs> if Bill Street could talk, didn't get anywhere near enough Oscar love than it should have done. But go and see this film. I agree with John. It's hard hitting and it does get you right in the emotions, and it, you, you do you may feel bad watching it, but it is a brilliant movie overall it's a fantastic film um so next uh basically it's going to be two movies that i saw that matt has not seen yet and then matt will hit on some movies that he has seen that i've not seen three of which are netflix originals um well the three i haven't seen are netflix originals and then 
Uh, we'll end with two that I have seen, but I've already talked about. So Matt will just speak on those. But um, Matt, the one you need to see, and I know you're waiting because your partner wants to see it too, but Stan and Ollie was such a surprise for me. Um, I am a huge John C. Riley fan, and I was really looking forward to Holmes and Watson. Um, and then everyone told me not to see it, so I didn't. Uh, and apparently that was the right call. It was um, the right call. I, I still have not seen it. I, and I'm not saying I'll never watch it, but I, I think I've missed my opportunity to see it on the big screen. Oh, well. Um, but Stan and Ollie, I didn't see it on the big screen. I actually got a screener and had to watch it on my computer. But I was so blown away by it. Now, I am a Steve Coogan fan, but I have not seen a lot of his work at the same time. Like I still haven't seen Alan Parsons, which is his like iconic movie. Alan Partridge, yeah. Partridge, yeah, I even screwed up the name. Look how awful I am. But um, I have seen all three of the trips. And um, after San and Ali, I did watch 24-Hour Party People as part of my uh, loss of the movie wager from last summer. Um, so I've, I've seen a few more Coogan films since then. But Stan and Ali is so charming and so terrific and such a love letter to the silent film actors, um, silent film and talkie film um, from back in the day. Uh, it's absolutely endearing. It's fun. It's uh, – I, I – there's these little moments at the end with Coogan and Riley, and both give tremendous performances. And Coogan, his eyes sell the character so much, which if you ever watch The Silence with, with Laurel and Hardy, the eyes are huge. Um, they convey so much emotion and so much meaning, especially when there's no dialogue, that Coogan nails that. And yet it's – the film does this interesting thing where we see them recreating scenes from the movies, from their, their movies, but – they also integrate some of the, the bits into their real life, and it's just it's so uh, it's just terrific. I don't think enough people are going to see this, um, and it's a shame because the, these two actors are, are clearly fans of the of the originals. And man, it's just great. Um, I'm actually the more I've I've thought on it since seeing it, the more charmed I am by it. It's just just a good, loving kind of film that um, I think film people especially will appreciate. Uh, on the basis of sex, on the other hand, um, uh, <laughs> the film about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, if you really want to know anything about Ruth Gator, uh, Bader Ginsburg, I recommend the documentary RBG instead. Um, both are very much uh, in love with her. Um, neither are trying to like really criticize her in any way, which I'm not saying she deserves criticism. But if you're looking for like an unbiased account, these are not those movies. Both are very much supporters of her. And to be honest, it's hard not to be because she's done some amazing things. And I am having a daughter. I'm very glad that she's fought for equality um, and got things in the position that they're currently in. That said, On the Basis of Sex um, is not a bad movie, but it's it's very mediocre. Um, there's a lot of melodrama type performance stuff in it that's easy to roll your eyes at. Um, I also feel like the biggest flaw is it's a movie about like equal rights and they really make her not have agency. If, if Martin Ginsburg is not there, um, it makes Ruth Bader Ginsburg seem like she couldn't have, couldn't have done any of the things she's done. And that is not the way I felt with the documentary at all. And that's not to insult Felicity Jones. who I think does a terrific job in the movie and is very charming. Army hammer continues to, uh, always just charm, uh, everybody in the audience. It's hard not to love that man. Um, but there's some over like villainous type things that they throw into this film for no reason. Um, I I've been a big supporter of Jack Rayner, uh, especially after Sing Street. 
Um, he has no place in this movie. I think he's he's kind of phoning it in, and it's a shame. Um, and uh, if you are a fan of Bad Times at El Royale, Callie Sp- uh, Spaney, um, yeah. she shows up here as Ruth Bader Ginsburg's daughter and does a really good job in the role, I think, as well. Um, overall, it's not a bad movie by any means, but it's it's definitely you know forgettable and skippable. If, you're, if you don't get to see a lot of films, this wouldn't be one to rush out to. Um, unless you are, again, a big fan of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and you just want uh, more reasons to love her. Um, but yeah, those are the two that I saw that Matt didn't. Um, Matt, I know you're, you're wanting to see Stan and Ollie. I don't know what your feelings are for Basis of Sex, but... Looking forward to Stan and Ollie. Um, yeah, my, my partner, she's a massive Coogan fan, as am I. He's like an English treasure. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing it. However, we haven't had a chance to be able to see it yet because uh, no, looking for... Looking for uh, Someone to look after the small one is always harder than it should be. So, um, looking forward to it. On the basis of sex comes out uh, sometime this month. So, in the next show, I'll probably give a quick 30 seconds on that. But I'm a big fan of Felicity Jones, so I'm hoping to enjoy it. Um, the three films I saw on Netflix, I'm going to power through these because not really are actually deserving of that much. But the first one is the worst one, and it's the worst film I've seen this year, and it's going to be the worst film I see all year already. It's called Polar. It stars Mads Mikkelsen as a grizzled, angry hitman, which sounds great. Mikkelsen's fine as the world's deadliest assassin, but this is not John Wick at all. The trailer looked great, but this is the most abysmal film I'm going to see this year, and we're only, what, 34 days into the year. The characters are terrible. The action is bad. The editing of it is awful. The, The spectacle's gone. There's, like, one decent action scene with, like, laser machine guns. Gore and blood is put, put ahead of anything else. There's misogyny, there's drips from every scene and everything just feels dirty. You feel filthy and grimy and unwashed. There's a female character in this, which is just the worst female character I've ever seen. And I know uh, the friend of the show, Top Man, Big Tuna, thought just the same as well. So I'm glad we're on the same wavelength there. Vanessa Hudgens tries. She's not actually that bad. She's pretty good. Matt Lucas, whoever casted him, it should be struck off the industry because he's a horrible, horrible casting. I struggle to get through any of his scenes. It's general, genuinely embarrassing. The story's good. The execution's terrible. Bad writing. It's like a teenage boy's wet dream, this film is, at times. <laughs> Mad Mickelson is wasted, and it's just an awful, misogynistic waste of a film. I really, 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 really... And I don't use this word lightly, and I don't like using it, but I hated this film. Uh, if you liked it, fair play, I hated it. Next one was I.O., Margaret Qualley and Anthony Mackey star in a double act about the world that's ending. Humanity is leaving to a place called Io, which is Jupiter's biggest moon to start over. We're never told why or what's there, but they're going there. It's outrageously slow paced. It never gets going at all. It's like a constant flat line. And there's nothing sort of tantalising really happens. However, there is still something about it which kept me wanting to see it. It wasn't like Serenity where it was so bad you wanted to watch it. It was just... Alarmingly average, but I sp- to the point where I wanted to see what happened by the end of it, but I wasn't overly enamoured by by what was going to happen. The performances are f- they're not entirely brilliant, to be honest. Mackie and uh, Mackie and Quali aren't great. The score was the best part of the film, but it kind of plods along. The ending is abysmal. It pretty much renders the rest of the film pointless, which is uh, you know, unforgivable. Um, but, yeah, it, it's just okay. If you get a chance to watch it, you know, it's not that long. About an hour and a half, I think. Check it out. But I'd, I wouldn't recommend rushing out to see it. And the last one is Close, or Close, 
I don't know how if it's close or close because it's never really put up in the film. But it's C L O S E. It's what it's called. Numira Pace stars as a bodyguard protecting an uber rich young girl who's going to be the beneficiary of her dead father's um, company. It's it's the same as any other action film you've seen. It's it's better than Peppermint, even though it's it's a similar kind of beat kind of thing, but it's a lot better than that absolute dross from last year. The writing's okay. There's nothing different to what you see in other films of his ilk. Numira Pace is badass. She's the best part of the film. She makes this film better than it should be. Uh, and the best bit about it is she doesn't feel like a wrecking machine like um, Jennifer Garner's character in Peppermint who just suddenly cut her hair and became a superhero. This feels more grounded in how they treat her character. But it's nothing, I put in my review, it's nothing vital. It's not remarkable, but it's still better than average, which for a Netflix film is quite good. And I just want to quickly throw in Mary Queen of Scots. I did see that recently. I gave it the fresh review but that it, it teetered. It trust me, it was on the line. I enjoyed. I don't even. I enjoyed it. I I tolerated it. I thought it was good. Cersei Ronan was great. I actually thought Margot Robbie was better in her performance. I thought she had more layers and a smaller role. Um, I the I, overall, I thought it was okay. There wasn't enough in there to make me dislike it, which is the which is the main thing I think for me. So, Mary Queen of Scots just 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 made the fresh rate and it was a bit dull for the most part though so it, it looked it looked great and the two actresses looked great in their get up and their makeup but yeah it's not um it's not the best film of the year uh it, i did enjoy it more than the favorite sorry john but it only just scraped that fresh review so that's matt's netflix original review for the month yep and uh, you saw two other movies that i already talked about on the on vamp um, you got to see Can You Ever Forgive Me with Melissa McCarthy and um, uh, Richard E. Grant. Richard E. Grant. Yeah, again, I'll just give a quick you know, top-line review of it. And also, Boy Erased, Can You Ever Forgive Me blew me away. It charmed the heck out of me. I thought it was great. Melissa McCarthy, Richard E. Grant, together, cinematic heaven, paradise, dynamite. The two of them were a bunch of rascals, a bunch of misfits, and I loved it. Richard E. Grant was... I've been championing Mahershala Ali for best supporting actor. I now want, I now demand Richard E. Grant wins it because every time he was on screen, I was just smiling my head off. He's so magnetic and charismatic. And Melissa McCarthy, finally, Ben Falcone is nowhere near her necessarily. She can act now. And she's so good in this film. She's really good. Can you ever forgive me? there's, There's moments where it lulls slightly, but... It's a real great kind of sort of crime thriller drive uh, vibe to it at times. But I really enjoyed Can You Forgive Me? If you get a chance to see it when it comes out, do so, even if just for the double act leading the film. Um, and the last one I saw was one you've already mentioned here, yeah, Boy Erased, Nicole Kidman, Russell Crowe, Lucas Hedges. Big, really enjoyed this film as well. Really nasty, horrible subject matter, which I'm still amazed, disgusted all the all the adjectives you could think of that mm-hmm. these uh, gay conversion therapy clinics actually exist in a world, but they do pff, ruffle some feathers, m- whatever. They're stupid and they're abhorrent, but they're out there. And Boy Raised is a very, I found it to be a very emotional, very touching story about a boy who is sent to one against his will uh, for a very religious family, especially his father. Lucas Hedges in his 50th film of the month is very good. I think Russell Crowe and Nicole Kidman are very good as well. 
Um, yeah, again, it's it's a re- it's a really good film, really good pacing to it, really good sub. Well, good, uh, great how it approaches a subject matter, but it doesn't demonise necessarily those who may agree with it. It's just it's presented very well. Again, Boy Boy Race again is very high on my list for this year already. Well, I want to one advocate if you get a chance. I don't think you've seen the Miseducation of Cameron Post yet. I have, no, yeah, top twenty of last year. Okay, that's right, that's right. I'm sorry, so, nineteen, I think. Of the two, which one do you think is a better movie? Oh man, I think they handled the subject matter very differently. Cameron Post felt a bit more indie art house, which is not a bad thing by any means, because it was my top twenty. And Boy Race takes a more, I don't want to say serious, but a more stoic look at it. So. If you're going to put me on the spot now, which one did I enjoy the most? Probably Camera and Post. Okay, that's where I think Camera and Post is leaps and bounds more uh, impressive. And unfortunately, most people haven't heard of it by comparison. Chloe Grace Moretz is fabulous in it. Yes. As is Sasha Lane and everybody else. Sasha Lane, I think this year, more people will know who she is if Hellboy does well. Um, Yeah. Uh, it may not. It, 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 the trailer doesn't sell me on it. Although I've heard mm. the uh, filmmaker is unhappy with the trailer. Um, that he said that's not the movie he's put together. That's um, interesting. Which is not uncommon. Marketing does not always uh, sell the vision of the filmmaker. They sell what they think will put people in seats. Um, which they were wrong, I think, in this case, because the trailer did not sell me for Hellboy at all. Yeah. Um, it she was in Hearts Beat Loud last year as well, which was excellent. Oh my god, that movie's so good. But, um, so, the last thing, before we wrap up, because that's all the movies we have for January... Um, I just realized while we were on this, because I kept noticing a trend today on Instagram and memes that everyone kept talking about a certain movie, and I didn't know why, because I didn't realize today's a holiday when we were recording this, Matt. Did you know today's a holiday? I've seen these as well, and it's one of your one of the films we spoke about recently, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, today is Groundhog Day. Yes. And, and I guess, is that just a U.S. holiday? Um, I think it's now become a sort of like a... A kind of weird worldwide holiday. I think it was mainly just a US holiday, but over here it's, there's been a lot of talk about it. Like the the Sky TV over here has been basically running. Uh, they've got a joke where all they're playing all day on a movie channel is Groundhog Day. Yeah, and I keep I kept seeing it on Instagram. Like everyone's like watching. I'm like, why is everyone watching? It? I was like, oh yeah, it's Groundhog Day is this month, and I was like, when is it? And oh, it's today. So um, before we end, I am a huge huge Bill Murray fan. In fact, I my wife went to Idaho a couple weeks ago and found at a store a Bill Murray air freshener for my car. And I now know that Bill Murray smells like lemons, and that just sounds right. Um, <laughs> I'd like to, I like to imagine Bill Murray smelling of citrus. Yes, and so um, I, I'm a big fan of his. Uh, obviously, my the first film I ever saw in the theater was Ghostbusters. I've been a fan of Bill Murray since then, um, but Groundhog Day is one of my favorite performances by him. Um, it is a movie that I can watch over and over again, which is appropriate. Um, and <laughs> so I wanted, before we go, what what's your take on the uh, the Bill Murray classic? Are you a fan? Yep, I'm a big fan of Groundhog Day. I uh, I we spoke about this on Movie Astrology. Myself and John, we do a podcast about that, about years in films. Spoke about Groundhog Day in there, and what I like about it is it still holds up to this day. It's so funny. It's just funny set piece after fun set piece. It's Bill Murray and Harold Ramis, God rest his soul, mm. at their nearing their peak, if not at their peak. And I love Groundhog Day, and I love Bill Murray and pretty much everything he's in as well. So, uh, yeah, happy Groundhog Day to you all. I'm really mad because I, I chose a familiar film earlier to watch, and I watched Wayne's World, and I should have watched Groundhog Day. I didn't realize today was a bad compromise, holiday. though. 
Yeah, it's not. It's not. I might have to watch Groundhog Day tomorrow because I have to watch Suspiria today, so I won't have time. I don't think to fit another movie in because um, I think I have to still do family stuff, you know, before I can watch yeah, Suspiria. Um, which I love doing that stuff, but you know, I have to balance all of my 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 things. So, um, but I, yeah. I need to rewatch. It's been a while since I last watched Groundhog Day, so it's time to to revisit it. I wonder if it's on sale anywhere digitally because it's um. You know the holiday. I wonder if it's. I'm like... pretty sure if you put your cable on or whatever it is you guys have in the states, I'm pretty sure it's on yeah. one of the channels oh, right sure. now. Uh, it's most likely TBS over here. Um, but all right, well that is uh, the month of January 2019. Uh, Matt, what would you say overall about the first month of 2019? Are we off to a good start or a bad start for the movie year? <sighs> pretty good start. It could have been a lot worse. I think we had some really good films. We had some absolute dross. Most of that did actually come from Netflix, but we had stuff like The Upside. Uh, if Bill Street could talk, Green Book, Colette, uh, for you, Stan and Ollie, uh, for me, can you ever forgive me? So, yeah, pretty good start to the year. I mean, it, it's if you would have told me last month that I would be saying that Escape Room was better than Serenity, yes, I would have probably laughed in your face uh, because who would have thought that a PG thirteen horror film that stars almost nobody super famous would be better? Than a movie starring Anne Hathaway, Matthew McConaughey, and Jason Clark, who I don't think is oh, very cool. good, but he is getting tons and tons of work. Uh, so, who not thinks I put it in my anticipated list? So, what do I know, guys? <laughs> Hindsight, and that's why we say though you should always go into a movie with no expectations. Um, yeah, let the movie watch trailers. Yeah, I never and... usually watch trailers either. I I do only because I I don't want to get to the theater late because our local theater doesn't have reserved seating, so it's first come first serve. So I'm not getting yeah, yeah. stuck in a uh, horrible seat because I was late to the movie. So I do watch the trailers, um, but I don't I hear that. I don't actively watch it. Like I don't go to YouTube. Uh, yeah, same. I don't sit on YouTube and find the latest trailers if, if, unless it's Star Wars or something like that. Yeah. But I don't usually what and even then I try not to, but I can't. But yeah, I try not to watch them, and I wish I, 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 you know, anybody out there don't watch the Serenity trailer. You'll be disappointed. One last thing, because the talk of trailers, I can't help but bring this up. Um, I don't usually watch trailers like that, but I had I had to watch the Hobbs and Shaw trailer, uh, the Fast and the Furious spinoff that's coming out, dropped, I think, yesterday. Yes. Did you watch it? Uh, I, I don't like the Fast and Furious films. I'm going to watch Hobbs and Shaw, but no, I haven't seen it because I've, I've really, really no interest in it. Okay. I will watch the film, though. I have not seen any of the Fast and Furious films since the third one. I've seen the first three, and I've, I've fallen off. I did recently purchase the box set. Um on black friday because i i i feel team, like i have to see them you know because they're they're too popular for me to just ignore them it's a um, juggernaut franchise yeah yeah well so here's my takeaway from this new trailer and it's it's necessary because they've done something that i don't know if this is new or not but they've introduced superhumans oh good yeah because <laughs> <laughs> idris elba who is the villain so, I mean, your cast is huge, right? Jason Statham, Idris Elba, and The Rock are your three big characters. That's cool already. Idris Elba is apparently like a cybernetic human or something. Um, <sighs> so, I, I don't know if that's a new thing or <laughs> if that happens somewhere else in the franchise and I haven't. I know The Rock broke out of a cast by flexing his muscle in one yeah. of the movies. But this did... is why I haven't seen them because it's all of that. I have I, I noticed somewhere early online quickly actually that that it did say something like um Hobbs and Shaw oh sorry, Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw introduces superpowers to the franchise. Yeah. So, so it may be a new thing. 
yeah, I don't know. I was a little, like, I was already not on board just because I'm not a fan of the franchise. I am a fan of the cast. Um, I am a big fan of all... I wouldn't say I'm a big fan of Statham, but he does tend to charm me when I do give his movies a go. I often skip his movies, but, like, even The Meg, I like him in The Meg. Like, yeah. he's hard to not like. Um, he's got you this, remember like, when that franchise used to be about cars? Just I cars. I do. I and, do. Uh, and firmly, but now it's weird it's just weird it's so crazy dude it's it's and people just eat it up and you know you can't people like what they like i mean mcdonald's has sold over 14 billion hamburgers and there's no way that's the best tasting hamburger people's ever had but man we keep eating them um and transformers used to make a lot of money as well those michael bay ones and shamefully bumblebee didn't as a result of those michael bay ones yeah thanks thanks bay yeah thanks mike but all right, that's that that wraps us up. Um, that's a good way to end the Hobbs and Shaw nonsense. Um, <laughs> we, we we do these podcasts uh, every month. We'll be back in the end of February to discuss the movies from that month. Um, there's some really good stuff coming in February. Hopefully, at least it looks good. Sometimes looks can be deceiving. Uh, you can follow us at our respective sites. Um, I'm at Burke Reviews on Twitter, Instagram, and BurkeReviews.com is where I post my reviews. Where can they find you, Matt? Uh, what I watch tonight across every social media, what I watch tonight at the Code UK, and on Movie Astrology, on uh, at any good podcast provider, you'll find that and any of the other pods I do. Yep, and uh, Burke Reviews, MovieCast, uh, wherever you get your podcast. Yes. Um, if you like what we're doing here, we'd love for you to rate and review us. Uh, it helps listeners find us. Um, you know, it's a nice spoiler-free take on the films of the past month, so you don't have to worry about us ruining anything for you. Um help us out share us tell people about us uh leave us some comments leave us some feedback and um if you ever want to appear on the show you can leave a voicemail for us at anchor.fm if you use the app you can actually call our show and and tell us what you think and maybe you'll end up on an episode yeah keep it polite please but yes yes uh try to we try to keep it pg on this show um you know every once in a while we'll drop the f-bomb just for for that's usually john Yes, Fanta Soda. Um, <laughs> in the meantime, Matt, thank you uh, for taking some time out of your day. Um, time, And we look forward to next month. Absolutely. Looking forward to it already. All right. Well, with that, all I have to say is keep watching movies. Stay bloody awesome. Blood, 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 bloody. 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 Blood, blood, bloody. Awesome.